This is EdTech Weekly. I am your host, Ricky Zager, and joining me once again for episode 70 is Christy. Christy, welcome back. Hi, Ricky. How are you? I'm doing good. I May I say that you sound really, really good right now? I wonder what's going on there. It's because I have this fancy new microphone that you sent me. I feel so legit now. Yes, you are too legit, and we are not going to quit. <laughs> have I gone too nerdy too quickly in this episode? No, always a little MC Hammer. That's okay. All right, good. Okay. So listen, first of all, we're back. We were off a couple of weeks. The first week of school was rough. Um, last week, I had a little bit of a technical issue and I'm working on a video for for my work and that's been taking up a lot of evening time as well. So, you know, we always try to be real. We try to do this weekly, but we also have lives and uh, much like you can get caught up in some of those things. So we're back and today we're actually starting a new segment that it'll, it'll recur occasionally throughout the show and we'd like to actually get some um, people involved in that that are listeners as well but we're going to discuss ed tech things happening in the in our towns and, and we're going to be reaching out as i said to other techies or ed techies as you might be um, to share some ed tech initiatives that's going on in your towns and we're going to do that for christy today so i'm pretty excited about that but first let's begin as we always do christy with the ed tech rundown An Ed Surge opinion piece talks about ed tech, screen fatigue, and some ways to combat it. The article mentions the somewhat hypocritical world of ed tech where technology and screen time are viewed as the solution oftentimes to our educational problems. But then the American Academy of Pediatrics advises against screen time for young children. The article goes on to mention ways that some are trying to build in away from screen activities. And they include building off-screen extensions, making more hands-on technology, and just trying to stay agile and, and making sure they're moving and doing a lot of different things. And this is a conversation that will only intensify, I'm sure, as virtual reality starts ramping up here. And as a parent of a four-year-old, I do struggle with this as well. I mean, I love technology, obviously. We do this podcast, so I think you kind of know where I stand about technology. And I want my son to be good at it. Like I want him to understand how to use things and, and not be somebody who doesn't know what he's doing with this. Uh, but I don't let him use an iPad or a phone um, at all. And I do try to limit TV watching as well. I just noticed for me that he's a lot more engaged and interactive and I'd say frankly well, more well behaved when he's not on watching TV or doesn't have any screen time. So Christy, I know you've got some kids and I know this is also something that you deal with with school, but do you have a strategy with this with your children? Well, I probably need a better one as a parent. You know, we do probably way more screen time than we should. Um, and it's just so easy. And I, I think other parents might feel that way too, that whether we're in the car, whether you're waiting, it's just so easy to hand that device over, whether it's yours. We actually have passed on our old iPhones. I think they were iPhone 4s um, onto my kids. So they each have their own device. It's pretty minimal. So I think it's all about balance. You know, that's what we really try to go for. Um, you know, they can do things they want, but we do have limits. We did try one of those routers one time um, recently where they like shut off at a certain time. Mm -hmm. Um, like after eight o'clock, the internet goes off in your house. Right. And so I think, you know, as our kids get older, mine are seven and nine right now, um, where we don't maybe have as much supervision, I think that might be a good thing to at some point just shut it down completely. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I think we, you know, should note the age difference as well. I mean, a four-year-old in screen time versus an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old screen time is a big difference. And, you know, I know that there's also that 
you know, like you said, it's easy and, and they, they're, they get into it. And I, I know that I've been very, very fortunate with my son because he is, it doesn't really need to have that. Like I know some, you have to sometimes, but you know, I've been very fortunate that he's a pretty well-behaved good kid and it really has nothing to do with me. He's just a good kid. And I think that helps too, that, you know, I don't have to be forced to get and go into that. So I'm definitely not looking down at anyone who uses it. I just know that everyone's got different strategies and everyone has different beliefs on this, but certainly a distinction has to be made between kids under the age of kindergarten and then those who are, of course, older as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, our next article, Ed Surge reports on the apps that students say they like the most. Obviously, students and teachers want good ed tech products that actually help students be more productive or make learning easier. Forcing them to use ed tech that they don't like probably will not help a teacher's cause. So here's a list of apps students say they love. And if you can incorporate these, that would probably be a good thing for your students. Notability, Socratic, Quizlet, CK-12, Kahoot, and Canvas. So I am a fan of one of these in particular. Let me play you a little tune and see if you can figure it out, Ricky. Do you recognize that? I mean, I feel like I do, but I'm not coming up with anything. It's the Kahoot music whenever you oh. do a Kahoot. You That's know what's what it so plays with. it's so funny because I just we just recently were demoing Kahoot for a faculty member that was trying to get like sort of a you know a tendency type of a quiz thing going on in their classroom. So I know I was like, man, this sounds so familiar to me, and I I know I just heard it recently, and I can't place it. That's hilarious. Well, that's where it is, and I did just. Google that and got it off of YouTube just to get the sound effect. And it says Kahoot music for 10 hours. So I'm not sure who in their right mind wants to play that for 10 hours straight, but it's available if you do. Wow. Yeah, that does not sound fun in any way, shape, or form to me. Yeah. Well, I am a Kahoot fan. Yeah, I do think it's just a great way to engage students. Um, you know, you can create your own Kahoot and then students log in with their own devices and there's a competition element to it as well as speed. So whenever I've seen it in use, um, I use it teachers in professional development. They get excited about it and get probably way too competitive um, and students do as well. There are many Kahoots that you can use that other people have created, but like with anything, got to check that quality. So that article lists several other good ones as well. And so check it out. And I really like the idea that this is coming from students. So, you know, oftentimes we incorporate feedback from teachers, um, but you know, what are the students liking and what are they using? I think that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, and it's huge. I think it's absolutely a really big deal to make sure that you're getting feedback, um, helping, you know, even helping with initiatives, having a student panel of sorts to either demo or to be involved in those discussions is really important. Um, you know, I, I think if you're struggling as an educator to incorporate technology, this is the place to go. You go with what the students say they want to use and you let them sort of lead it, like let them show you how they want to use it in the class and, you know, have them teach you and if you're not comfortable with it. So it's a good way for people who aren't really comfortable with technology to start using it. Let the kids drive it. If they're into it, check it out. You can have kids go on Quizlet and create things for the class and share it with the class too. So there's a lot of options out there, even if you're not into it. And I will have to say, Christy, at this point, that for some reason our Facebook live stream just just stopped. Don't know why. It just 
X'd out. So we'll just continue the show. And those obviously listening to us on the podcast, it won't really affect at all. I just apologize if you were trying to listen on the Facebook feed because apparently... Well, we probably... We probably had too many people and crashed it. I'm thinking I mean, that's what happened. Maybe we ruined Facebook's bandwidth because of our amazing fans. I, that's what I'm going to go with. I, you know what, Christy? <laughs> I've missed your positivity these last two weeks. This is, this is good for me. <laughs> All right. Let's get with our next story. Business Insider reports on a new adaptive learning system from Huyang. Mm, I don't know, named HiTalk. HiTalk is tailored to English learners and adds on to an already robust Chinese edtech company. HiTalk is receiving rave reviews to the tune of about 98% positive feedback from its users, uh, which is pretty awesome if that's all legitimate. This is part of a larger strategy for Huyang, which already has about 150 million users, and they're trying to keep users on their platform. It uses situational dialogue to teach English, which is more of a natural learning language acquisition technique. And the users say that it's similar to the benefits of spending time in an English-speaking country, and they're very pleased with the teachers who are sourced from all around the world. As someone who uh, may or may not be currently attempting to learn another language, I love the idea of being able to acquire it in a more natural way. Um, You know, just repeating phrases and (laughs) learning words that way is a little bit dull and it would be a lot more fun to engage in that way. So it's definitely something that um, if you have access to something like this, which I'm not sure most of our listeners, although we do have some listeners in China that uh, could check that out. It sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. What are you using right now, Ricky? I know you were trying to learn another language, right? Yeah. I'm into Rosetta Stone at the moment and it's actually pretty good. Um, I will not demonstrate my ability at the moment, but maybe in a future show we can, we can add some phrases in there. But yeah, I mean it, it's good, but I I would I feel like it would be better for me um, to engage with a live person, you know, to learn that stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, what language are you learning? Uh, Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, okay. something that I I took in high school for a couple of years, and I always sort of you know we went to Costa Rica, and I was able to understand what people were saying surprisingly because um, we were with a. Spanish-speaking person that went with us, and and we'd get back in the car after we talked to somebody, and I go, "Did he say this, this, this?" She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Awesome. Okay, I can I can kind of get it." So I'd really like to be able to switch that into more of a speaking and engaging version than just kind of getting context and hearing words and sort of understanding what's being said overall. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Cool. All right, I look I look forward to hearing your Espanol here in a few weeks. All right, next up, EdTech Magazine gives us three tips to help keep parents feeling secure about their students' data being safe. The world of data in EdTech continues to grow and become more important, especially as we try to detect student issues earlier and give them a more personalized learning experience. Of course, we all have some level of concern when it comes to data, but parents obviously have an even greater level than most. The three tips are understanding parental rights under FERPA laws, providing proper education on digital citizenship, and committing to data governance and vendor partnerships. These are really just a starting point, but check out edtechweeklyshow.com for these and some other data security information. So I think, yeah, these are all three really good tips um, that we do with our parents, um, particularly that digital citizenship. I think my concern as an educator and a parent is, you know, the data sharing, but then what do those companies do with that data? Um, you know, they have a lot that they're collecting now on us. And in our district, I think we're pretty tight with our use policies, um, particularly with Google, but uh, information is out there. So all of these are good to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, we do live in an age where 
it's super, well, I, I've been saying super a lot lately, but it's extremely important for us to make sure our children and our students understand, you know, the, the things that are out there, the people out there that who want to exploit them, you know, the ways to keep their information secure as much as possible. You know, I see in the world that we live in with the social media and with our next generation just being brought up on that, that this sort of private information is a really fluid concept to them. And it's it's just a little bit different for our generation. So it's definitely something that conversations that need to be had. Um, and certainly it's only gonna get, I mean, we continue to, to mine this data to improve ed tech. And yeah, where is that data? How secure is it? Can it be used to exploit our students and our kids? And that's all stuff that's really important. And no matter how secure anything is, it can be breached. So it's something that we have to be extra careful about for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our featured segment today. And it's I've I've come up with this title on my own, Christy. We were, we were talking about making a fun title, and I just went ahead and made it. And if it's terrible, it's terrible. But it's EdTech going down in your town. And today we're going to be uh-huh. talking to our very – did you just go, uh? No, I was about to say, oh, that's awesome. But <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, it's awesome. But you know what I think it needs? It needs some like theme music for this I, part of the segment. I know. I don't know. I'm thinking like Young Jock down in – I don't know. Anyway, but I, I think at some point we do need some music. And I, if we have some talented listeners out there that could create an ed tech going down in your town little jingle, that would be awesome. And you we could, could always, always play Kahoot. We have 10 hours of it on YouTube, I guess. We could just run the Kahoot theme <laughs> track while we talk. <laughs> Boy <laughs> – this is really going to get listeners. I'm sure of it. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, r- remember, email the show, edtechweeklyshow at edtechweekly, sorry, at gmail.com, edtechweekly at gmail.com. If you want to be involved, again, um, we're going to be featuring some of our listeners for the EdTech Going Down in Your Town segment as well. So um, get in that, get on the email. And please, if you're talented and you can create a jingle or something fun, uh, we'll play it. We're definitely not above that. We are certainly not, and we would enjoy it. So um, if you want to be involved in the show at all, um, or if you want to be on this new segment, EdTech Going Down in Your Town, uh, please email us, edtechweekly at gmail.com. All right, Christy, let's get into it here now. Let's just start by asking a simple question. What EdTech is going down in your town right now? Well, this is awesome that I can go ahead and talk about things that have, we've been doing lately. It's been a crazy two weeks. I am utterly exhausted. We start school on Monday. And so for those who work behind the scenes, you know, getting ready to the start of school is when our super busy time is. And one of the things that we have going down in our town is uh, phase two of our one-to-one initiative. So that has been very exciting to do training with that and roll out. Cool. Yeah. And I think it's important to mention that even though even as I look at our sort of script deal here, I, you know, I think we need to drop the G from going down in your town. I think it's got to be going down. I, I think if we oh. say going down, it's just a little, you know, it's a little too uptight. We got to drop the G. It's what's going da- going down in your town. I think that's an important going. thing. To, yeah. I think it's an important right, thing I'll to mention. That. Yeah. I, I think we have to, to brush up on that because I think the people will like it if we say it that way. But let's get back to some serious things here. I think we should start by referencing a couple of stories. Um, Specifically, we talked about student data and some screen time concern. So when you started going into this one-to-one initiative, I know you did a lot of planning with this. Um, Did you take these into account? And if so, how, how did you do it? Uh, Yeah, we did. So we are in year two of our one-to-one rollout. And so last year we did 
two teachers per site. This year, another two teachers. And then next year for year three, we'll go completely um, K-12. All of our students will have devices. So we're kind of taking a phased in approach. And student data, yes, for sure. Um, you know, we've got pretty tight Google policies that everyone signs and agrees to and um, acceptable use policies that we have in place. Uh, and screen time, that frequently comes up in our trainings of, you know, how much time are kids going to be on these computers? What about going outside? What about, you know, all the other things that schools, um, that we do in schools? So it always comes up and, you know, it's always about balance. And, you know, we're not going to be on computers all day, um, but for portions of the day um, where it can really be helpful, um, it, we can definitely use it. But we still, you know, get our kids outside as much as possible as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the the word you mentioned there that rings true is balance. I mean, in, in so much of all of our lives and everything that we do, balance is so important. And certainly for our students, it's good to start showing them that balance early on. That It's not all about being on the computer 24 hours a day. It's not all about, you know, any little individual thing. It's sort of having that balance approach. So I really like that. And I think it's something that we could all use a little more of in our lives in general. So certainly helping our students see that's awesome. Um so the one of the things that I always, when I was in the K-12 world, it always amazed me the process by which people decided which devices they were going to use. Um, I I was on the side of like watching sometimes in horror of how they decided, you know, it just seemed to be like, oh, we're just going to do it because, um, and not really a whole lot of meat or reasons to it other than just the fact that we like Apple or we like this or we like that. Um, I know that can be something that's a lot more difficult for big districts in terms of, you know, working with maybe the, the IT department to make sure it all works and there can be conflicts there. Um, and I know you were in a smaller district. So, you know, how did you decide which devices would work? Um, obviously, there's financial, but there's so many other things involved, too. So if you could give us a little bit of info on that, that'd be awesome. Well, one thing you mentioned that we definitely start from the beginning is your tech team is involved um, as well as our teachers. So getting both sides of that um, is so important because what works for the tech team doesn't always work for the teachers and what works for the teachers doesn't always work for the tech team. So, you know, when we started deciding on the, our devices um, probably a couple of years ago, it really, to me, you've got a few things to choose from. You got your Mac products, you have Chromebooks, and then you have regular laptops. Um, we don't have many Mac products in our district for whatever reason. So, you know, that was kind of ruled out. Um, we do have some iPads around, but really when we think of what we want our students to do and here in California, state testing, um, really we thought the laptops um, were a better way to go. So it came down to Chromebooks versus laptops. And our, in our first round, we went all laptops, um, you know, pretty inexpensive ones, but durable. Um, so elementary and high school, our teachers there and their students got, um, you know, basic laptop because we wanted them to have access to the Microsoft Word suite, as well as everything you could do with all the Google products. And actually, I think this is pretty interesting. Last year in our elementary schools at, in the spring, when we surveyed them and asked them, you know, what they would recommend for next year, they all said Chromebooks. They weren't using the Microsoft products um, like we thought they would. They were just heavily into Google Slides and Google Docs and training students in that. And they really did recommend, you know, save the money because Chromebooks are cheaper and go with that. So this year, our rollout is Chromebooks at the elementary and laptops at the high school. And for us, we are a 7 through 12 high school, so it's kind of junior high and high school. That's that's really interesting. I think, you know, my experience has been with Google. Um, since I went to USF, I've 
we've you we had we're a Google school, so we have all these tools, and they just, I mean, I find them to be very easy, very integrated, lots of options, um, make working with a team easy, make doing things on your own easy. Um, I, I tend to agree that if you can be fully in, integrated with Chrome, it is probably a better experience at the moment than Microsoft. And Microsoft's trying. They're bringing some things in there to try to help out with that. But overall, I would agree with that. Now, you mentioned something about durability. And you know, one of the things that I know could be an issue, there's two things really. Dam- the damage of, of things, are they um, up to par? Are, you, know, you and I or other teachers using things um, not going to be quite the same as middle school or elementary students or high school for that matter. Um, did you? How did you address those type of issues? Like, what would you do if they were damaged? Did you have to have a new position or have somebody that would be involved with helping that type of stuff from a tech side, like damaging or other issues like that? And then the other thing is infrastructure-wise. Do you have what was the, what's the charging or power scenario like, or even internet for that matter? I know that's like sixteen thousand questions yeah. there, but Okay, so the first one was damage. Now, we have not sent our devices home yet. Um, You know, when you send a device home, that's another aspect of, you know, liability, as well as internet. And if you don't have internet at home, you get into the issue of, you know, access. So we haven't sent them home yet. Not saying that we never will, but we're not there yet. You know, we haven't really had much of that because they are um, pretty under control at school. But I do like to think about it as, you know, this is just another tool, like a textbook. Um, you know, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper. So the amount we spend on textbooks every year, textbooks get damaged too, and we deal with that. Um, so why wouldn't we deal with a laptop in the same way? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think a lot of a lot of times we try to put different paradigms on technology and if you're getting into the Chromebook thing, let's be honest, you could probably get textbooks that are more expensive than Chromebooks. So, I mean, it's you're absolutely right. That's something that yeah, we have to deal with l- damages and money loss, no matter what type of physical item that we use for our school. For sure. And, you know, kids are kids. It's going to happen. Someone is going to drop a Chromebook or a laptop. Yes, it's going to happen. So <laughs> just like someone will lose their textbook. Um, we try to you know minimize that, but, you know. It's going to happen. Um, you mentioned infrastructure and charging and just relatively like internet speed. Um, our tech team has been amazing about upping our infrastructure and our school district and school board about investing in infrastructure. Um, it, we've just gone leaps and bounds in that way. We just finished a um, cabling project uh, last year, so all new cabling in all of our schools. And then this year, they just finished up a major switch upgrade. You know, it's definitely more on the technical side on the infrastructure, so I don't quite know the ins and outs of it, but it's all um, new and upgraded. So we should see you know increased speeds and it shouldn't be a problem anymore. As far as charging, the one problem we do have is that we don't have enough power in our classrooms. I don't know if other schools experience this too, but many of ours were built in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, they might have two outlets in the entire classroom. So how do you charge all your devices there? So we have carts. Um, so all the laptops at the end of the day are put into the cart. Um, cart gets plugged into the wall, and it goes on a you know a twelve hour charging cycle where it charges like six to ten at a time, and then goes to the next six to ten, and overnight they get all charged. So that's kind of how we're getting around it for now. Um, I don't know. Have you had anything with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I I, I believe 
it's an issue in a lot of places. And interesting thing, we just went to a, a building to do a training uh, at one of our campuses, and it was a, I mean, we're talking about maybe six-year-old building, you know, and there were not good options. We had, everyone had to have laptops for the training we were doing, and there really was nowhere to get power other than the side of the room. Uh, so, you know, it's amazing how you would think, like, even in a newer environment that would not be an issue but i think everyone deals with it and i i know for a fact that there's so many schools like you said that were built uh quite a while ago so it's not just you know like design you know error or you know not having foresight it's just that there wasn't something that they could have imagined so whether somebody did poor planning or whether it wasn't an issue to even consider when they planned it's still a problem and you know the good thing about the technology that you're talking about, especially the Chromebooks, I'm sure, is that, yeah, if you charge them overnight, they're probably going to last for what you need to last them for the day. Um, other items, maybe that the charge goes a little quicker, maybe maybe a little bit more difficult. But, you know, there's ways to get around that. But, yeah, I think that's a, a common experience that teachers have everywhere, whether it's a big district with a lot of money or a small district that doesn't have a whole lot. It, infrastructure can be a, a huge issue in terms of power for sure. Yeah, when we chose our device, battery power was one of the determining factors. You know, we need at least six hours. We like something that will say it will last eight to 10, and then it will last the whole day, and we don't have to worry about charging. So, you know, battery power is improving, and I think that'll only get better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of my huge things, and I think, um, you know, maybe this is a good question to edit on, because I think this is one of the really, really important things to do when you do an EdTech rollout, is professional development. I mean, this is something that... Um, a lot of times become something that people don't even really plan into their 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 rollout. And so I know that's not you. Um, so <laughs> what have you done for professional development? How did you approach it before, during? And I know, like you said, this is a stage rollout that you've been doing. So how did you kind of think about it before? How has that maybe changed as you've gone through the first year and as you move on into your second? Um, yeah, you know, I'd say the biggest difference is that um, – you know, the first year I felt like we were kind of behind the eight ball with our rollout. You know, our devices didn't get out as planned. You know, we chose our teachers, you know, late either in in the summer. So we couldn't do the training that we wanted over the summer that first year. But going into year two, you know, we knew in the spring who our teachers were going to be the following year so that we could set things up early in the summer. Um, that is prime time for training. You know, once they get started, then it's just really hard to find the time to do that. So over the summer, um, we allocated three, what I call just independent study days for teachers to learn um, kind of on their own. We did provide them a couple of tools. Uh, one that we're using that we are pretty happy with is Kite, K-Y-T-E. It's called Kite Learning, and it is on videos on tools, you know, by teachers made for teachers. So that is a paid service and we do pay a fee per teacher, but, um, you know, I wanted a little bit more vetting than just like, oh, go Google it or go find an, something on YouTube about this to learn how to do it. So, you know, these are teachers who made these videos and um, can be applied, to, you know, to a teacher's context. 
Um, and they're vetted. It also comes with some district-wide monitoring. So, you know, I can see what teachers are watching as far as their training, how many hours they have done. So from, you know, a district, you know, accountability perspective, um, I like that feature as well. So that was Kite Learning. And we also gave teachers the option of doing G Suite training. Um, they provide a lot and hopefully leading to, you know, a level one or level two certification for teachers. But my big thing was, you know, we want to personalize the learning for students and we want to do the same thing for staff as well. So we only had one day um, where I brought all of our one-to-one -one teachers in together where we had face-to-face. -face. I did want to put eyeballs on it and have, so we could have real conversations with our teachers um, about some of these things. But most of the training is really teacher-designed learning on what tools they want to learn about and implement. So, you know, I kind of like that approach. Um, we'll see how it goes this year. Most of our teachers have done it over the summer. Um, others will do it throughout the year. And then we meet four times throughout the year to talk about, um, you know, follow up and new training. So we've got those dates already scheduled. And, you know, our tech team is definitely there for more of the technical side of things, you know, to help with those first day rollouts, especially with our younger ones, getting them logged into their Google accounts. So, you know, I think it's, pretty good approach so far um we've got some pretty good tools and we'll we'll see how it goes yeah i mean it sounds like you i mean again it makes me happy to see that this is something that has been planned and thought about and and again sometimes you get behind the a ball and that happens and you have to sort of improvise and make it work to the best of the ability i like two things that i like one specifically is that you're letting them watch uh, content created by teachers using things i, I feel like that's always a good way to go um, I've also recently been introduced to and I'm, I'm a huge advocate of the same thing for students, students videos, teaching them how to use tools uh, because they do it on their level and explain it on a way that they understand that we really can't even reach them in that way. So it's, it's I love that having people that are sort of peers um, help them understand because it, they can see value and why it's being used. So that's awesome. Um, I did have a question though, because I know that you've um, really quickly, I know that you've this has sort of been teachers who have been chosen or who've wanted to do it and that kind of thing. Um, as you roll out to, you know, everyone, so to speak, you know, next year, um, is this something that you are thinking about a different way or are you thinking that independent training is still going to be okay for all of those people? Well, it'll be a larger rollout. So, you know, this year, 16 teachers, which doesn't sound like very many for everyone with larger districts, but in our small district, that's what we did this year, 16 last year. And so next year, um, you know, we'll certainly double that. Um, I think we're going to have to have more of a tiered approach because you've got teachers that are on it and don't necessarily need a lot of training. And then we've got some teachers who really need the basics. So right. I think offering different levels of training and, you know, for our advanced users, you know, letting them go with the same model of designing their own learning. But some teachers learn better and want someone there to do it with them and show them how to do it instead of watching a video. So I think that will be a, probably the main thing to our approach next year. Next summer is offering different options based on ability. That's awesome. No, that sounds really good. I think, you know, you say small, but when you say 16 teachers, and then you talk about the amount of students they all have and you talk about the devices, that's that's a lot of devices. That's a lot of stuff going on. I wouldn't consider that a small rollout. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure compared to some people you know, who roll out a one-to-one -one over a huge school or something like that. It's a little bit, you know, more cumbersome, but that's still not a small rollout. 
Um, and it sounds like things are going well, and I'm excited to hear more about it. Maybe um, at the semester break, you can give us an update or even earlier than that, depending on how it goes, so we can get some more info on it. But I think it was some really helpful information for people who are looking into doing that um, and some things they can check out, um, including the kite learning or even just G Suite training if they are not familiar with that, if they're getting into uh, Google and Chromebooks and things like that. So good stuff. Um, Christy, since you really put yourself out there for this uh, going down in your town um, <laughs> segment, I will say that I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold you to an ending here. I'm just going to go ahead and do the ending and I won't put any pressure on you. Um, follow us at four tech teachers. Uh, that's me at Christy M Warren. Um, and uh, you can email us again, edtechweekly at gmail.com. And uh, we can share uh, little things that you want to share with us on upcoming episodes. Or if you want to be involved in the uh, going down in your town segment, then certainly let us know. Um, again, check out edtechweeklyshow.com for links to the stories. Um, and um, that's about it. Christy, thanks again. Episode 70. I, I feel pretty good about 70 episodes in the can. Yeah, that's pretty legit. 70 episodes. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we are the MC Hammer of podcasts. The legitimacy. I used legit twice in this podcast. That's right. I had, that's why <laughs> I mean, if we had to go back to MC Hammer. Our legitimacy is not quitting for sure. <laughs> All <laughs> right, Christy. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us again. And uh, to everyone out there listening, we appreciate it. And we will see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Mm-hmm.